Good morning, Gateway. We can start making our way to our seats. Love seeing everybody fellowshipping. All right. Kids, did you guys get a lot of the answers right? I know you guys were out there competing. Yeah, I saw that. That's good. All right. It's great to see everybody this morning. Love to welcome everyone watching us online as well. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here to worship with us. I hope you felt welcomed as you came in and to enjoy a time of worship together. We do have a lot of announcements to mention. We got a busy next few days and week, it being Easter week. And uh, first off, um, thank you to all who brought um, a lot of the drinks and things for the Capitol Heights teachers, uh, which is appreciation this week that we're participating in at Capitol Heights Middle School. Uh, we are so grateful for all those that brought some of the goodies and refreshments to help with that week. Uh, please be praying for all that's going to be done this week in regarding to reaching out to them and encouraging them. Uh, there's information on the website at gatewaybaptist.com in the news and events section so we can give you a little more strategic things to pray for when it comes to the teachers there at Capitol Heights. We're just very grateful for all of you to help participate with that. It's Easter week. We're excited to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Amen? It's going to be a good week. Hope you guys are engaging and meditating on that this week in your quiet times and spending time in the word and prayer and we're excited about this weekend and it starts off with a wonderful, sobering, reflective service on Good Friday. Uh, this week at 7 o'clock uh, for a communion service. Always a wonderful time to reflect and to remember and to acknowledge and worship the sacrifice our Savior made for us. And then coming together on Sunday morning to celebrate his resurrection. And I want to encourage you, we've been doing this for over 12 years now, a community sunrise service. It's one of the dearest things to my heart. I just love the John 17 context of unity in the body of Christ. And it's in us and legacy Anglican and Grace Presbyterian Church along Bell Road here. We all meet um, in their little front section there of the church at Grace um, under the orchard at 6.30 in the morning on Sunday morning. Um, we've been participating for years. There's a time of fellowship afterwards in the fellowship hall. We invite you that we'd love for as many to come as possible. Uh, but uh, If you do come to maybe bring a breakfast goodie, a little something to bring along. And there's just a wonderful time of fellowship. This year we've also invited for the first time I meet with these men monthly. We, uh, Grady and I meet with for lunch with the pastors of these churches, and we've just recently built a relationship with First Assembly, which is down the road right next to them, their worship leader, and so we've invited them this year, First Assembly of God, to come join us for this service, and so it's just a great time as the one church, amen, one body in Montgomery. There's only one church here. We just meet in a lot of different places. So we can come together as the body of Christ to worship together at Grace Presbyterian at 630 in the morning. So we just encourage you to be a part of that. And then obviously after that, our normal schedule here, our small group Bible studies are at 9 o'clock um, as normal. And then our Easter worship celebration at 1030. And we want to encourage you to make you aware. One thing to do next Sunday morning, as most of you know, families come in town. People come together. We have visitors. We just ask you to kind of break out of your your comfort zone a little bit and if you come in if you could fill up the front first this whole area here just to come in sit toward the front kind of work your way into the middle so we can just leave some seats all the uh, you know, 
what do you call it, um, goes helping this, sit everybody are like, amen, because it's hard to find a chair. But just kind of break out of your little comfort zone for a bit just to allow us to help those visitors that may come in to make it easier to find seating. We just ask you to do that. couple other things. Next Saturday, very excited, the Homemakers Workshop Round 2 is happening. For all those interested in raising chickens, this is for you. So 9 o'clock in the morning in the gym building over here. Um, from what I talked to my wife, Nikki, and Alana, Taylor, both who are leading this, you all had a wonderful time last month with the gardening. And uh, yeah, there they are. I was just wondering what you're all laughing about. Okay, got a bunch of chickens up there. Okay. So um, it's going to be a great time. So please uh, plan to attend if you want, 9 a.m. in the gym building next Saturday. Very excited about this as well. Uh, Friday, April 21st, just to kind of throw it out there, it's coming. Uh, we are also hosting again Secret Church. We've done this the past six or seven years. We love this opportunity. Uh, for those that don't know what Secret Church is, David Platt leads this gathering. It's a six-hour in-depth Bible study. And the reason he does it this way is because it's just for us to kind of reflect and to kind of join the rest of the body of Christ in the world who participate at times in Bible studies in places that they're being persecuted. And they have to go for a very long period of time to get in the word, driving many distances, doing it in the dark, different things. And so he's done this for years. And so it's a wonderful time. We have an amazing time. Kids come, teenagers. And this year specifically, he felt the Holy Spirit leading him to do a verse-by-verse -verse study on the book of Jonah. So we're going to be hitting the book of Jonah for six hours, and we will also be interceding for the nation of Iran and hearing what God is doing in that nation um, right now. So Friday, April 21st, um, Gateway members, it's free to you. We ask you to register online. Uh, you'll see the blog, and uh, just for us to get an idea so you can have a book, and then we'll have refreshments, lots of caffeine, <laughs> and lots of snacks and stuff to enjoy, because it does go from 6 p.m. to midnight. So we're very excited to participate in that. It's been fun. Lastly, before we have a wonderful uh, time with new members and a baby dedication, um, a reminder on May 5th and 6th, uh, the, to celebrate the National Day of Prayer, uh, there is an um, annual community Bible reading marathon that we've participated in for many years. And so on Thursday, May 4th, um, is where you will be able to sign up and register tomorrow for the Old Testament, which you would be able to do at your own home. Uh, there's slots all throughout here on the website at hisvessel.org. And um, on Friday is the New Testament to be read at His Vessel downtown. So all the details, all the sign-up information, information is on our website under news and events, and I've participated in it myself. It's an amazing time to just join in with the body of Christ, reading God's word over our city, and then at the New Testament on Friday at the place downtown, at the gateway of our city, being able to declare God's word. So all the information is on the website for the Bible reading marathon. Whew. Here we go. Great if you can come up and lead us in the next section here. Well, good morning, Gateway family. Two special things as we start this morning before we sing together. First of all, we get to welcome a family. They're new members. So Walker family, you guys come on down to the front here. So once you get to know them, they finished the membership process, the Discover Gateway, the class, the meeting with an elder, and we're excited to get to introduce them to you guys coming across the front here. This is David and Bethany Walker and their kids. David is active duty Air Force. He's been at Maxwell three years and hoping and praying to get a few more years there, which we are as well. And Bethany is part-time as a nurse. She works at Baptist East with the littlest of the babies with the neonatal intensive care with those kids. As a family, they have a heart for missions. They love serving others. 
They love spending time together, traveling, playing games. David said he loves most sports, especially golf, and he enjoys learning pickleball, and I'm working with him on racquetball also right now. Bethany enjoys family time, outdoor activities, going to the beach, and trying to get the dogs to love her more than they love David. And so we'll see if we can do that well. Their, their kids are the oldest is Pace here. He's 14. He's a freshman at Eastwood Christian School. Lydia is thir- turns 13 this week, right? This is birthday week, so happy early birthday to you. She's in the seventh grade. Silas is 10. He's in the fourth grade. Gardner is seven in the first grade. And Lainey here is six, and she's joining her siblings at Eastwood next year. Now, one of the things I do when I email the new members to get the information so you can get to know them, ask them, is there anything else you want the church to know about you? And we get lots of fun responses on these. So Bethany says, we love a good Broadway classic rock, need to breathe, or Garth Brooks sing-along while we clean up after dinner. So it sounds like you guys have a fun evening at your house. And David has a word for you all. He says, we've not yet committed to Auburn or Alabama yet. So if you have any extra tickets, we'd be willing to give your school a chance to win us over. So anyway, we're glad to welcome you guys to Gateway. So glad God's brought you here. Let's welcome them. Thanks, guys. We're so thankful. And there's many others in the membership process that we look forward in the months to come introducing to you, and we'll be telling you more about that coming up soon. But now we get the joy of a baby dedication. So Zach, Rachel, you come on up here with baby Esther. So I'm excited about this. This is a fun part of what we get to do as a church. Let me come on up here. We get to begin our service today celebrating the gift of children as they commit their first child unto the Lord this morning. This is Zach and this is Rachel Stewart. This is their baby Esther. And I do want to tell you, because I just found out this morning, this was, this was Rachel's wedding dress that has been repurposed into a baby dress that was her, was it your grandmother's dress? Your mom's dress that your grandmother made. So talk about the generations. I just thought y'all would enjoy knowing that about them, how that's been passed on. So why are they standing here before you this morning? Ultimately, it's what we see in Psalm 127.3, that children are a heritage from the Lord. Now, that is a short phrase, but that short phrase has so much truth and so much meaning for it. Because we understand that children are a heritage from the Lord, it reminds us that our children are not our own. They belong to God. Our children are made by God in His image. They're created by God for His purposes, and they're now entrusted to us to raise according to His ways for such a time as this, that He's given them for this world and for His purposes. As such, as they already have discovered in these first few months, children are a great blessing, they're a great gift, they're a great joy, and they are a lot of work and a huge responsibility as well. So standing before you acknowledging that Esther has come from the Lord, and Esther does not belong to them, Esther belongs to God, and they want to confess that and acknowledge that. But they're also standing before you following a pattern we see in Scripture as well. You go all the way back to 1 Samuel 1, when Hannah had prayed for a child and God granted her prayer. She says in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 28, I have lent him to the Lord. And what a beautiful phrase of acknowledging that my child is a gift from God and I'm giving him or her back to the Lord, setting my child apart for God's purposes. This is what Mary and Joseph did with Jesus in Luke chapter 2, verse 23. It says they brought him, Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So that's what Zach and Rachel are doing today. They're acknowledging that Esther belongs to God, that Esther is a gift from God, and they're committing Esther to God's purposes. Now, why are we doing it publicly here versus just doing this in their house and me stopping by and the elders stopping by their house and doing it in their living room? Because it reminds us we're made for community, friends. Children are a blessing to the parents. Children are a blessing to the grandparents who are all here today, which we're rejoicing in as well. But children are a blessing to the church family as well. 
That's why you hear me say often that we don't mind noise in the sanctuary. This is a sign of life and God's blessing on the church when children are here. And it's a reminder to us that we as a church need to come alongside them. None of us are called to walk our Christian journey in isolation or alone. We need community. We need one another. And so we do the baby dedications here together to remind us that we have a responsibility to come alongside them, to encourage them, to pray for them, and to help them in practical ways with this awesome responsibility of raising Esther. So with that, if you have a charge for them, but then we'll have a charge for you, the church family. But we'll start with you guys, Zach and Rachel. I want to remind you of God's instruction for you from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk with them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Because I think about Deuteronomy 6 as such a reminder to me that if you're going to point her to Christ, Christ has got to be real to you. If you're going to have a home filled with the gospel for her, the gospel's got to be real for you guys. So the charge for you begins with you guys individually and together as a couple seeking Christ and seeking the gospel every day as you present it to her then. And then Ephesians 6, 4, Zach, it tells you, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Such a sobering reminder that you have a responsibility as the pastor of your house, as a shepherd of your house, to shepherd your wife well, and now to shepherd baby Esther, to point her to Christ, to be the spiritual leader of your home. That is the eternal, unchanging plan of God. So I've got several questions for you guys in light of all that. First of all, do you desire to seek God's grace to love the Lord with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to have a home filled with the gospel? I know you do. Do you desire to have a home where God's word permeates all that you do? I know you do. Do you recognize today that Esther is a gift from God who has been entrusted to you for your care and that ultimately she belongs to the Lord? And do you commit this day to seek God's grace to teach her God's ways and to point her to Christ each and every day? And lastly, do you commit this day to regularly pray for the day that Esther will trust Christ and keep the gospel ever before her? I know you do. And so now to you, the church family, again, this is our calling to come alongside Zach and Rachel. Do you agree to pray for Zach and Rachel as they raise Esther and to pray for Esther that she will trust Christ and live for him throughout her life? Do you agree to that? I know you do. Awesome. Let me remind you, we've said this many, many times. So as you pray as a family, as you pray individually, let's keep praying for the families of this church as they raise their children, and let's look for ways to come alongside them. So let me pray over you guys right now. Father, we are thankful for Zach and for Rachel, and God, we are so thankful for the blessing, the heritage of this baby, of baby Esther. Thank you for your grace given to them and giving them this child. And Lord, we pray for Esther, Lord, that she would at an early age understand the gospel, or that she would see the difference Christ has made in her parents' life, that she would see the gospel changing her parents, and she would long from early age to have what she sees in her parents, the hope, the joy, the love, the peace that comes because they know Christ. And so, Lord, we pray you would save her at an early age, that she would walk with you throughout her days, to use her for your purposes, that she'd be a mighty woman of God who will make your name known in whatever ways you call her to do throughout her life. And, Lord, we pray for Zach and Rachel. We're so thankful for them. We thank you for their love for you, their love for the church. And I pray that you would bless them in their marriage as they walk through these days of a little one at home, that they would stay close to you and stay close to one another. And I pray their home would be, as they've committed this morning, a home that's filled with the joy of the Lord, a home that's full of the gospel, a home that the delight of you is obvious to all who enter. So we pray your blessings over them. Give them the wisdom and the strength and the perseverance they need as they enter this amazing and yet tiring journey of parenthood. We pray your blessings upon this whole family, and we ask it all in Jesus' name name. Amen. And we have a Bible for her. This is her first little Bible that we like to present to you guys, and we're thankful for you guys and rejoice with you. So let's give them a round of applause.
Let me ask you to stay in Gateway Family. I'm going to pray for us again as we get ready to sing to the Lord this morning. Father, we are thankful to get to begin this service welcoming people into this body of believers. Lord, we're thankful to get to rejoice at what you've done with Zach and Rachel. And Lord, we just thank you for the church. Lord, this is your idea. This is your plan. And Lord, we are so humbled and grateful that we get to be part of a local body of believers. So I pray now as we sing to you, as we pray, as we study your word, that God, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would delight in you today and our singing, our prayers, our attention to your word would be an overflow of the work you're doing in our lives. Lord, ultimately that you would receive the glory, you'd receive the praise and the honor, and we'd be strengthened and built up today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing to the Lord, church family. Sing this, praise God. Praise God from Blessings flow, praise Him all creatures here below, praise Him above the heavenly host, praise Father, Son,
Lord, what a glorious declaration for us to make. All power is yours. All glory is yours. You are trustworthy and faithful as the ancient of days, the Alpha and the Omega. God, we come here this morning to celebrate your power and your glory. That you are the ascended, resurrected King, ruling and reigning over all things. That's why we come each week, God, because you're the only source of life. The only source of power and hope and promise that we have on this earth. It all is because of you. So we thank you for this opportunity this morning to come together as your family, to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you, to declare our love for you, our affection for you, for you are worthy. And Lord, that's why we can come each week faithfully and trusting you because you're good to offer these prayers of intercession and petition and thanksgiving to you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to stand in the gap for individuals and situations and other congregations that we are family with, Lord. And we thank you that you hear our prayers and we trust you to act on them faithfully and in your timing and in your way, trusting your providence and your sovereignty over all things. And Lord, as we mentioned, God, what an amazing week that we get to reflect on and celebrate of your death and your resurrection and your ascension. Lord, I pray for each and every one of us in this room as we should be living our lives that way daily. But this week specifically, Lord, that the world is going to pivot and think about what this week represents in different facets, in different countries, in different ways. But God, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would have divine appointments this week to encounter people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, to encounter people with the hope and the promise that is in you. As they're reflecting on just what Easter means as a holiday and maybe thinking about bunnies and little birds and pastel colors and all those things, God, that we have opportunities at our jobs, at our other spheres of influence, social settings, with our families, with people in our family who may not even be believers, that we can talk and have conversations and ask questions and have dialogue this week about the glory of who you are. God, we ask for those moments. People are going to be engaged in thinking about those things this week. So we pray for those opportunities, that we would be aware and proactive and just ready, as your word says, Lord, to defend and give an account for our faith. We ask for those opportunities. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing here at Gateway. Thank you, Lord, so much for our children's ministry, the wonderful, precious young ones that you have brought here. We thank you, Lord, for Molly and her leadership. And God, for all those amazing volunteers who have sacrificed their time to love on these kids, to disciple them, to support them, encourage them. Lord, we ask you to continue to bless them, give them strength and wisdom and vision, and for Molly and her leadership, Lord, as we continue to sow into these precious ones. We thank you for what you're doing here. And God, it is our desire, as we bring the gospel to them each week, as we declare the goodness of who you are, that Jesus is Lord, that these precious ones, God, come to a saving faith at a young age that they would know you intimately at a young age and be able to cultivate that relationship and know you for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the ministries that are in this body. We love and thank you so much, God, for Lenny and Debbie Dixon and their ministry through Shepherd Staff to this community, to this city, where they sacrificially give of their time and their resources to to love on individuals that are on the fringe and kind of almost outcast to some folks and to love on them, to share Christ with them, to support them, to drive them to appointments in different situations and provide food and clothing and so many different things, God. But most importantly, they provide your love. Such a wonderful, precious, compassionate couple. And we pray you continue, God, to bless them, their marriage, provide resources for them, give them strength and good health. 
And we just thank you so much that we can partner and come alongside the ministry that you've called them to do in this city. And God, we thank you for being able to lift up our extended family here in the River Region. We thank you, Lord, for Pastor Gary Burton and our family at Pentlala Baptist. God, we thank you for the 50 years of ministry that he's been in at that church. We ask you, Lord, to continue to give him good health and strength and vision and vigor and energy to continue to disciple that flock, Lord. And we thank you for the community of Pentlala and what you're doing in and through them down there. Ask you to continue to bless them and draw people to that body, Lord, so they will hear the gospel and to be saved and set free and to experience your redemption, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that we get to pray for those around the world, give opportunities to stand in the gap and intercede as your gospel goes to the ends of the earth. And Lord, we thank you for the Mistec community in Guerrero, Mexico, where many of our Mistec community here in Montgomery have actually come from there. But we know recently an IMB team is heading out to assist and to disciple the new believers in the community there in Guerrero, to share the gospel with their own people, to visit new homes, to connect with new relationships. And God, we just pray you give this team wisdom and discernment and just strategy on how to reach those in the community through communicating in their native tongue, and that you would continue, God, to build your church in that community to where you can raise up leaders within the Mistech that they can pastor and disciple and shepherd those within their own uh, community there in Guerrero. And God, we thank you for your provision. We thank you for the offering that people have given today and online. We thank you for the resources that you have provided to us. We are so blessed as a people. And we thank you for the opportunity just to give a portion back to you uh, to facilitate and do what you're doing here and through this work here at Gateway. And God, we thank you for our pastor. We thank you for our shepherd, Grady. Thank you for his love for you and how much he desires to love us and shepherd us, to teach us and to guide and direct through your spirit. Bless him this morning. Encourage him. May you fill him afresh with your spirit as he brings your word to us this morning. We thank you that we get to hear the beauty of your word. May we be convicted and encouraged and challenged today. And we give you all praise and all glory. And we ask that your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated in first to fourth grade. You're dismissed to kids' worship. First to fourth grade, you're dismissed to kids' worship. We got Mr. Jeff this morning. Just a reminder of parents, when the service is over, you'll pick up your kids who are at kids' worship in the blue hallway in the gym building. If you'll go there immediately after the service, then you can come back in and fellowship with others after them. Once you find 1 Peter chapter 4 in your copy of God's Word, we are continuing through our year-long journey through this amazing letter God has given to us through Peter. And today we're in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, as you're finding 1 Peter 4, I want to ask you this morning this question. When was the last time you thought about the return of Jesus? When was the last time you thought about the second coming of Christ? Now, if it was recently for you, what precipitated that? What is it that brought that to your mind? But if you're like many of us, if it's been a while since you've really pondered and dwelt on and thought about the second coming of Christ, the question is, why has it not been in your thoughts recently? In other words, the question is, do you frequently think about Jesus' return? Now, that's an important question for us as we begin the next paragraph of Peter's letter here. We come to a new section of Peter's thought that was significantly shorter than that long section on suffering that we've just been walking through. This short section, is verses 7 to 11, has much to say to us. Because these verses in 1 Peter 4, 7 to 11, are all rooted in the truth that Jesus is coming back again. Now, that leads us to a second question I want you to think about as we dig into the text this morning. 
If you knew that Jesus was coming back tonight, now, let me just be clear before you think I'm doing heresy here. We do not know when he's returning, okay? He's told us we do not know the day or the hour. But if you somehow knew that he was coming back tonight, what would be different about the rest of today for you? If you knew that tonight Jesus was going to come back, what would change today? Would it change how you thought and talked about the sufferings and trials you're walking through in life? Would it change how you use your time? Would it change what you view today as being most important? Would it change who you talk to and what you talk to them about? How would knowing that Jesus was coming back very quickly change you? Now, Peter's going to help us answer that question in these verses, in verses 7 to 11. And no, we're not going to cover the whole paragraph today. Don't worry, we're only looking at just one verse of that this morning. But on the several weeks after Easter, we'll keep unpacking this paragraph here to see how the return of Christ and thinking about it should change our lives. Now, we're going to look at just the first one of those ways that thinking about the return of Christ changes us today in verse number 7. So as we read 1 Peter 4, 7, be looking for how it is focusing my mind on the second coming of Christ change me today? How does thinking about the return of Christ change me today? Be looking for that as we look at 1 Peter 4, 7. Can I ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God? I'm reading out the English Standard Version, and we'll have the words on the screen for you also. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truths that we've already sung back to you this morning. Father, we thank you for your unchanging nature. We thank you that you are the sovereign ruler of all things. As we come today and open up your word, we pray that your word would come alive to us. You've given it to us to show us who you are. You've given it to us to show us who we are, to show us our need for you. And I pray this morning you use your word to transform us, molding us and shaping us into the people you desire us to be. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's start with the key truth that I want you to see that this whole paragraph is built on. The key truth of this section is that Jesus' return is imminent. The return of Jesus is imminent. It is coming. Now, this is not a random change of topic from where we just were. Look back at verses 5 and 6 that we studied last week. Peter says, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. But this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now we saw last week, this is the reality that in times, the judgment that comes on non-believers, the eternal life that awaits the people of God. So Peter's been thinking about eternity, so it's not a long jump for him to now transition now to the return of Christ that ushers in those things. That's exactly what he does here. He turns our mind to the return of Christ. Verse 7 this morning, notice this first phrase here. The end of all things is at hand. Notice he says it's the end of all things. This is a sweeping statement that Peter's intentionally trying to make here. In fact, in the Greek, he structures the sentence different than our English translations do. It actually begins with the word all things. He's stressing that. He wants you, your mind to realize this. He literally says, all things ending is at hand. What does that mean? That means the world and life as we know it is ending. The world full of strife and anger, divisions and wars That's ending. The broken relationships and the sadness that we carry through life, it's ending. The immorality, the selfishness, the sin that we see, it's ending. The world living for material things and money, it's ending. The doubts, confusions, the questions that plague our minds, it's ending. The things that wear out, including our own bodies, the sicknesses and the broken things we deal with, and death itself is ending. The persecution and sufferings and trials Christians go through, it's ending. The full weight of sin and the curse we live under is ending. The brokenness of the world we feel in so many ways, he's saying it's ending. It's all ending. It will certainly end. The end of all things 
is at hand. Now in his next letter, Peter gives us more details about how all things end. Look ahead to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. He tells us what the ending will be like. He says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away the roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now for the believer, that is not a terrifying thought. Because the ending of those things we know is the ushering in of the new that God has promised for us. We get a picture of this in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 5. And these are truths that are fill our hearts with hope. This is what awaits us that we get to experience as God's people. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. Just let that sink in. This is what we get to experience. That's their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall they be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. They've ended. Verse 5. Actually, that's it. Sorry. Yeah, verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things New. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So when Peter tells us at verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. There's so much hope for us as believers because of the new that comes when the end of all things is at hand. Now that raises a question for us. When does this happen? Well, Peter simply says it's at hand. Your translation may say it's near. That's communicating the same idea. So 2,000 years ago, Peter said the return of Jesus is near. It's at hand. It's imminent. And now here we are in 2023 still saying the return of Jesus is near. It's imminent. It's at hand. How can something be near 2,000 years ago and still near today? Why don't you realize, first of all, this is the way all the New Testament authors speak of the return of Christ. Paul describes it this way as well in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's near. He's coming soon. The author of Hebrews, we do not know who that is. He says the same thing in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We're told not to neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's coming soon. James tells us the same thing in James chapter 5, verses 7 to 9. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand, is imminent, is near. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. There's a nearness there of its timing. John tells us the same thing in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. You see this through all the New Testament. The coming of Christ is near. It's at hand. It is imminent. It's soon. How can something be near for 2,000 years? We have to realize, friends, that the New Testament authors aren't thinking in terms of chronological years the way we often do. They're talking theologically about God's plan for redemption. What they're saying is everything else in redemptive history has been accomplished. There's just one thing left. It is the next step. Everything else has been done. Creation, fall, Israel's journeys, they're all completed. The birth of Christ, His perfect life, it's completed. The death, the burial, the resurrection that we'll celebrate next weekend is completed. Jesus' ascension back to heaven is completed. The gift of the Holy Spirit to all believers is completed. The birth of the church, the growth of the church, the gospel going to the Gentiles is completed. How that has all now happened. And what remains? Jesus to come back. 
That's the next step. And so we look at this big story of redemption throughout all of human history and time. Everything has happened except for now the return of Christ. As such, we're in the last days. This last step is still awaiting. So why is Jesus not returned yet? Well, quite simply, because it's not his perfect timing. God has a perfect will and a perfect timing, and that timing has not yet come. Now, he gives us a little glimpse into what he's doing and why he has not returned yet. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. This is the verse just before what we just read a minute ago about him coming soon. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Christ has not returned yet because there's people that he still is drawing to himself who've not believed. He's still creating elect exiles as we've seen throughout 1 Peter. And so in his patience, he is giving the gospel more time to go forth to draw more people to himself. And friends, that may be some of you in this room who have heard the gospel and have never believed. This is the patience of God. He has not yet returned. You still have time to believe in Him. But it's not just for us that He is waiting. It's for the unreached peoples of the world, for the nations as well. God has given us a beautiful promise in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number from every nation from all tribes, all peoples, all languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is the certain promise, a certain picture of what's to come, that one day around God's throne there will be people from every ethnic group in the whole world worshiping the Creator, but that hasn't happened yet. Jesus has told us in Matthew 24, 14, that this has to happen first, that the gospel has to go to all of them first. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. That's not political nations. That's those people groups you saw in Revelation. as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So Christ hasn't returned yet because His plan is for peoples from all ethnic groups in the world to worship Him. And as of this week right now, there are still 7,425 ethnic groups that do not know the name of Jesus. Around the world, there's 7,425 groups of people, unique ethnic groups with unique cultures and languages that do not know the name of Jesus, that are unreached with the gospel. And Christ has said the gospel will go to all those people groups before the end comes. Friends, CJ mentioned earlier, but that's why I hope you'll consider coming to Secret Church. Yes, it's six hours of teaching on Jonah, but even more than that, we pray for the nations. And I come away every year with my heart stirred afresh for the lostness of the world and for what God wants to do through us to take the gospel to the nations. So why is he waiting? Why hasn't he come back yet, even though we're in the last days? Because he's still drawing people here and people from unreached people groups to himself so there will be worshipers around his throne from every ethnic group in the world. And though we do not know when that day will come, that there are people, there are believers from every group who will worship him in the end will come. And so Peter anchors us back in that truth. Go back to verse 7 this morning. The end of all things is at hand. Now as we think about that truth, that the end of all things is at hand, the return of Jesus is imminent, there's two dangers that we need to be aware of related to this truth. Two dangers. The first one is completely forgetting this truth, of losing sight of this truth. Friends, we are a people... If you join Gateway, you've, you've looked at our statement of faith before, and confessionally we're people who would say, yes, Jesus is coming again. I believe in the second coming of Christ. That's part of our confession of faith. And though we confessionally affirm it in our practical lives, friends, if we're honest, we often forget it. We can give the right answer, but we lose sight of this truth. That's why back to kind of my opening question. How long has it been since we really pondered, rejoiced, and thought about the return of Christ? How many days has it been since we stopped and thought about Christ is coming again? 
For some, how many weeks or how many months has it been since I really took time to go, man, Christ is coming again. Friends, it's so easy for us to live for the here and now. It's so easy for us to get focused on our trials, our needs, our desires, our plans, our own will for our lives and give little thought to eternity. It's easy for us to get lost in our sin and our selfish ways and give little thought to this truth that we affirm that Christ is returning again. And friends, if we lose sight of the return of Christ, it is to our own peril. Because if we forget eternity, it's, we're going to have a hard time living out our identity. We're going to have a hard time living out what 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 tells us, that we are elect exiles. Friends, if we don't remember eternity, we're not going to live like exiles. If we don't remember the return of Christ, we're going to have a hard time living out 1 Peter 2, 9, when we're told that we're to be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. If we don't remember eternity, we're going to have a hard time living out what he says in the next verse, in verse 10 of 1 Peter 2, that we are now recipients of mercy, that we are God's people, that we belong to him. And friends, if we don't remember the return of Christ, we have a hard time with the next verse, with 1 Peter 2, 11, of living as sojourners and exiles. Because the pull for us is to live for the here and now. The pull for us is to live and stay focused just on this life, and yet the calling of all of Peter and Scripture is that we are not at home here. Our home is in eternity with God. We are sojourners. We're travelers. We're exiles for the short lives that we have. And we need to fix our eyes on that. Friends, do you realize, as we see in verse 7 here, if the end of all things is at hand, that within a few decades for most of us, now maybe for some of the younger ones it's more than a few decades, but for most of us within a few decades, the end of, all, the end of at least our lives will be at hand. Within a few decades, most of us in this room will see Jesus face to face. Either he will have already returned and we'll see what's happening here take place, or we will die and we will see Jesus face to face. So regardless of when this happens at the end of all things, for each of us in this room, we are just a few decades away from seeing Jesus face to face, and we often forget that truth. So there's a danger for us with this truth that we forget it. But there's a second danger here, and you see this in some people is the danger of getting fixated on speculations about the timing and how all this will happen. There's a danger of ignoring it. There's also a danger of getting fixated on the speculations about it. Now, friends, there are very clear truths in Scripture that are not to be debated. We see them very clearly here, things we talked about this morning, that Jesus will certainly return, that his return is imminent, that the gospel will go to all the nations first, that when he returns, he's going to judge all people, that the world as we know it will pass away, that there's a new heavens and new earth that are coming. Those are crystal clear in Scripture. But beyond that, friends, there's so much mystery about the timing and about how, how all this will take place. So you listen to people who agree about on 99% of the rest of Scripture, and you sound like you're talking to totally different people when they come to their end times theology of how this is going to work out. And so there's such widely divergent views on the timing of when Christ is going to come back and what all this is going to be like. And it's easy for us, it's not bad for us to think about it, we need to read Scripture and wrestle with it, but what happens is we get fixated on the speculations and start arguing about it. And people get up with a lot of pride and confidence to show their charts of this is how it's going to certainly happen at the end of times. Well, someone else gets up and says, no, no, I love Scripture. This is how it's going to happen instead. And there's all this fighting and arguing as we speculate about things that are, quite frankly, mysteries to us. God does not give us these truths about the end of times, so we spend our life chasing down speculations and charts. He gives us these things to change us, friends. The truth about the end times is given in Scripture always to change today. This is not just some philosophical speculation, not just some theological talk for a coffee shop. Everything in Scripture about the end of the age is to change today for us, God's people. And that's not just unique to Peter. The New Testament authors all do this. For example, Paul, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, he deals with end times. 
He says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Now, several verses later, after he expounds what he means by that, you come to verse 8 of 1 Thessalonians 5. And notice why he tells us this. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. Paul talks about what's going to happen in the end so that we grow in our faith and our love and in our hope in Christ. He tells us the end time stuff, not for us just to speculate, but to change today so we grow in faith and hope and love. John tells us the same type things. 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He, Christ, appears, when He returns, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. Now, why does He tell us this? Verse 3, And everyone who thus hopes in Him, in Christ, purifies himself as He is pure. John tells us about what's going to come with the return of Christ, not so we get fixated on it, not so we ignore it, but so it leads to holiness in our life. Peter does the same thing in his next letter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. Notice how Peter connects this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? That's what he does. He immediately takes the end times truth and ties it to how you're living today. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now verse 14, therefore, he's told us all this, therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish. And at peace, he tells us these things, not for us just to sit around speculating, but so that we will have lives that are marked by God's grace growing in us holiness. And that's exactly what Peter does again in our verse today. Go back to verse 7 this morning. The end of all things is at hand, therefore be. Now notice those two words. Don't pass those. Therefore be. He has told us this truth that Christ is returning to change my life today, to change your life today. Now, how does thinking about the return of Christ change us? Well, that's what the rest of the paragraph is about. We'll explore this for about three weeks of how thinking about the end times is going to change us. But let's look at this morning. There's two ways it changes us in verse 7, and these are linked. But I want you to see the two and then see how they go together. The first thing it does in us as we think about the return of Christ, it focuses us on God's will. Number one, it focuses us on the will of God. Now, notice the flow of thought here. He says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be... And here comes self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled and sober-minded. Now, when, when Peter wrote this in the Greek, he's using a writing style where two similar words are put side by side to form one idea. So it doesn't help to get too detailed in what each word means. It's one phrase to capture one idea. But the word self-controlled here is a word that means to be disciplined. And particularly disciplined in how you think. These are words about your mind. So he's saying that if we focus on the return of Christ, it gives us mental self-control. It helps us think correctly. And he follows that up with a similar idea. He says, therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. In fact, in the Greek, it just simply says, be sober. He often does this. He's done this before to help us think about how we think. Is to think clearly. Because if you're drunk, you're not thinking clearly. That's why drunk people do so many crazy things. So they're out of their right minds. He's saying the opposite of that is true for us. As we think about the return of Christ, it clears our mind. It focuses us so that we think correctly. Now, he's already told us this before. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Notice how he uses the same word. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. Same word. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you notice something here? He ties clear thinking with focusing on the revelation, the return of Christ. As we think about the return of Christ, it changes our minds now. So go back to verse 7 this morning. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. In other words, he's saying a mind that thinks about the return of Christ grows in being disciplined to think rightly about life. That the more you focus on and remember and think about the return of Christ, the more you will find right thinking about the rest of life. And what is right thinking? The will of God, as he's revealed it in Scripture. Friends, because when we think about Jesus' return... We can't help but think about the big picture of God's redemptive plan. And we begin to see how our story fits into his big story. Our minds, a mind that focuses on the return of Christ grows in being disciplined and being self-controlled in our thinking, being sober-minded in our thinking so that we think rightly about trials. We think rightly about relationships. We think rightly about how we use our time. We think rightly about all of life. As we fix our minds on the return of Christ and think about eternity, it gives us discipline to think correctly about all of life. It gives us discipline to think about the will of God. There's a second way that thinking about the return of Christ changes us, and it's closely linked here, and that is it leads us to pray. It leads us to pray. Look at verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Think correctly about God's will for the sake of your prayers. For the sake of is just one word in the Greek, and it's a preposition that shows purpose. So you can us for the purpose of your prayers. He's telling us that the God-given purpose of having disciplined minds, the God-given purpose for thinking correctly about God's will is so that we will pray. Now, that's not how I would have, what I would have expected him to say here. When I think about right thinking, I would immediately, have, if I was writing this, have been like, have right thinking for the purpose of being able to defend your faith against people who persecute you. Or if they have right thinking for the sake of being able to clearly share the gospel with the non-believers in your life. Or think clearly about God's will so that you have hope in troubled times. And those are all true and those are all good. That's not where he starts. The first thing Peter goes to of why we need to have clear thinking, sober thinking, disciplined thinking that comes from thinking about the return of Christ is so that we pray. Prayer is that foundational. Prayer is that important. That's the first thing Peter goes to in showing us how our right thinking should change our life. And this is not a one-time prayer. This is not have your quiet time in the morning and you're done. Notice here the word prayer is plural here. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This is plural. This is multiple prayers. This is the idea of ongoing prayers all throughout the day. This is the idea of us talking to God all throughout the day. That reminds us, friends, that prayer is not a formality. Prayer is not a formula. Prayer is not just a ritual that we do. It's a conversation with our Creator who made us and who loves us and who redeemed us. It's a real, intimate, thoughtful conversation with God. And so as we discipline our minds to focus on God's will, it leads us to pray, leads us to pray more, but also changes how we pray. Because, friends, the more we think about the will of God, the more we'll find ourselves praying the will of God instead of praying our own will. The more we think about the return of Christ, the more we think about God's will, the more it will shape our prayers so we're praying not just our wish list of what we want, but it will be praying the will of God, which is exactly what Jesus taught us to pray like. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the very thing that Christ himself modeled for us in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, as he's in the garden right before he's arrested. He says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. 
And so we have an invitation from our Creator to come to talk to Him in prayer, to seek His will, but also to seek His grace to help us live out His will because we can't do it in our own strength. I want you to notice something. Notice how all this is linked together in Peter's thought. Go back to verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Jesus is coming and He's coming soon. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. There's a clear progression here that the more we think about the imminent return of Christ, the more we'll find ourselves thinking clearly with sober minds, with disciplined minds. And the more we have right thinking, the more we'll think about God's will. And the more we think about God's will, the more we will pray. And the more we pray, think about God's will, the more we'll pray God's will and not our own wills. This builds as we go through on this. Now the reality is, for myself and for most of us, most of us would say we do not pray like we should. I've met very few believers who are like, yes, I pray like I should. I pray enough and I pray the will of God very well. Very few of us say that because the reality is none of us do pray like we should. Can I suggest that this text shows us one reason we struggle in prayer? One reason I struggle in prayer and perhaps you do as well. Think about this text in reverse. If what God wants for us is a sake of our ongoing prayers for His will to be done, perhaps we struggle to pray because we're not praying for God's will, we're praying for our own, our own will. That our prayers are more about us going to God with our litany of what we want to see happen in our life versus going to God saying, Lord, this is my desire, but not my will, but yours be done. Perhaps we struggle with prayer because we're going to it focused on our will, not God's. But perhaps we struggle with going to God with His will because in verse 7, our minds are not self-controlled and sober-minded. Because we're not thinking about God's will. We're thinking about the world, and the world has shaped us more than the Word of God has shaped us. And we live short-sighted, not focused on what God is telling us to focus our minds on. And perhaps one reason we struggle to have focused, disciplined minds is because we forget the end of all things is at hand. Maybe one reason I struggle and you struggle with prayer like we do is because we've forgotten the return of Christ. Therefore, we're living for the here and now, and we forget to discipline our minds the way God has called us to do, and we forget the will of God, and therefore we are not praying the will of God like we should. So God in His grace calls us back to a better path. God in His grace calls us back to this life-altering truth. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Let's bring all that together this morning. Here's what I want you to see from this text and take away. is simply this. God calls us to remember Jesus' imminent return. Why? in order to grow in us a desire for God's will that is reflected in how we pray. God calls us to think about frequently, often, daily, the return of Christ, to remember it, to dwell on it, to rejoice in it, so that it grows in us a desire for God's will that shows up in how we pray. That goes back to my opening question. When was the last time you thought about the return of Christ? When was the last time you spent time just reading the Scriptures and rejoicing in the fact that Christ is coming? When was the last time your mind as you're driving down the road was filled with thoughts of Jesus is coming back and I can't wait? God calls us to remember that because He uses that to grow in us right thinking. And He uses that right thinking to lead us to pray and to pray the will of God and to seek His grace to live out His will. God calls us to remember Jesus' imminent return to grow in us a desire for God's will is reflected and how we pray. So, so two questions for you as we close. First is, how are you doing praying the will of God each day? How are you doing? How am I doing praying the will of God? Not just once, not for five minutes in the morning, but how are we doing throughout the day talking to our Creator and talking to Him about His will and seeking His will and seeking His grace to live out His will? And let me follow up with a second question. It's linked. How are you doing thinking about the return of Christ? How are you doing thinking about the return of Christ? I pray that God will give me and to give you, brothers and sisters, much, much grace this week to remember the return of Christ 
to let those thoughts develop in us disciplined thinking, to develop within us a desire for his will and to lead us to pray his will for ourselves and for others. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for your grace, your grace that does not call us to go try harder to do better at these things, but your grace that changes us. We're thankful that you gave us saving grace that has taken us from death to life, something we could not do ourselves. Lord, we thank you that you give us and are still giving us transforming grace that changes us, that molds us and shapes us to be the people you desire for us to be. So Lord, we come to you this morning confessing, Lord, we do not pray like we ought to pray. Lord, we don't pray enough. Lord, we don't pray, Lord, with your will like we should. And Lord, we confess that to you and ask that this week, God, in your transforming grace, you would stir our hearts to remember eternity. You stir our hearts to rejoice in the return of Christ, to think about it often, to sing about it often, to pray about it often, to dwell on it and ponder it. And I pray from that, Lord, that in your grace, as we run to your word, that you would develop within a sober mind, self-controlled minds that aren't distracted with all the things that come across our TV and our phones and our social media platforms. But God, you would discipline our thinking this week to think about you to think about your word, to think about your will, to think about the world the way you see the world, not the way we're told to see the world. And Lord, as you discipline our thinking, Lord, I do pray it would change how I pray and how it would change the way my brothers and sisters pray. Find this week in our hearts is a grace gift from you, a longing to pray more and a longing to pray not coming to you, demanding things, but coming to you, seeking your will and seeking your grace to live out your will. Lord, we confess we are weak. We are feeble, we are frail, and we cannot manufacture that. But God, you can give that to us. So I pray we'd be a people this week who run to you in prayer, who run to your word to shape our thoughts, and that we see you transforming us each day this week because of your love for us and your pursuit of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Can I ask you to stand? We're going to sing our closing song this morning. It's a newer one that you've been learning in recent weeks, but it's a song almost home. And it's very fitting for us as we think about our identity to be elect exiles, to be aliens and strangers in this world, sojourners and exiles. We're seeing these lines like, do not drop a single anchor. We are almost home. I pray that it will be a truth we sing as we ask God for grace to not live for now, to not drop our anchors here, but to remember we're almost home. We're going to sing, make ready now your souls for that kingdom conference. That's what verse 7 has been all about today. Make ready your souls. Think about the kingdom to come. We're seeing this morning, this morning as well. Take courage for this darkness shall break to dawn. I pray as we sing this will be an encouragement to one another to fix our eyes on eternity today, but it will be a prayer for God's grace to help us turn our mind to Him and to eternity, not just this morning as we sing, but all this week. So let's sing it together.
pray for someone to read out loud a scripture as a closing benediction to encourage one another from second peter chapter 3 verses 13 and 14 we read this earlier today in the sermon so we have that up there just thinking I'll, i'll read it for us and let this be our closing benediction but according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells therefore beloved Since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Father, that is our prayer this week, that we would remember the return of Christ and it would lead us this week to be diligent to be found in you, to desire you, to desire your presence, and to experience the hope and the peace that can only come from knowing you. So God, I pray you'd word that in my heart and in the heart of these precious brothers and sisters also. For your glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a great Sunday afternoon.